Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1 with It's For Women. The car insurance you can sort online anytime. First this morning, though, look, Sean O'Reilly, he's such an iconic figure in Irish music and culture that we might feel we know so much about him already. But as this year marks the 50th anniversary of his early death, his granddaughter, musician and broadcaster, Dirin Lachan, has created a wonderful and poignant documentary film for Tichi Cahar that sheds more light on a man who was at times divisive in music circles, but achieved so much in his four short decades. And it also shows how important and oppressive his wife Ruth was to him and to all of their family and Darren joins me here in studio along with her mother and Sean's daughter of course Sarah Kinnireadha who you'll also know her as the political correspondent for Nook RT TG Cahar. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Thanks for being with me here in Studio 10. Listen Darren growing up how much did you know of your granddad Sean Areadha? Um, that's a funny question because, you know, obviously I am a dub, so I grew up in Dublin, but we would have spent an awful lot of time going down to Kool and um, we were down for any kind of a celebration that there would have been about Sean. But you're look, when it's someone belonging to yourself, you have no interest. I, you know, would be nearly rolling my eyes saying, oh, here we go, another concert or another festival or something in memory of Sean. And it really wasn't until like the last few years that I've actually taken a step back and be like, oh my God, there's there's something here. You know, it's not just that kind of family authority figure thing. And uh, so I'm no problem admitting I was very ignorant to Sean's Irish or his heritage until now. And why did you want to find out more? It's a wonderful documentary, by the way, but why did you want to find out more? Um, I suppose it was kind of serendipitous because I had obviously started working with TG Cahar doing an awful lot of broadcasting and I suppose that would have been concentrated primarily on traditional music um, and then Sean's 50 year anniversary was coming up and it was small things like I remember when I was in college uh, first doing my undergrad and I had was doing this module and it was a study on different dialects of Irish so I had got this recording of Sean O'Reardon who obviously mm. a big well known poet and he was kind of a hero of mine and I was listening to this recording and next thing uh, on came this eulogy that he gave at my grandfather's grave and I was kind of like oh my god Sean, Sean O'Reardon is talking at Sean O'Reardon's grave and even at that stage it hadn't clicked with me and listening to him talk so powerfully about Sean like I had goosebumps on you know all over myself listening to it and I was like, oh, this is crazy that someone I admire so much obviously admired Sean so much. And then I suppose it's just naturally a curiosity. And then I realised a lot of my big, you know, musical heroes like Willie Clancy and Tony McMahon had so much respect for this man. And it was kind of through their eyes that I started to kind of dig a little bit deeper. And then with the 50 year anniversary coming up, I suppose I felt like, you know, it's kind of given something back. I had gotten a lot of opportunities musically because of my association with them. And it kind of felt like the right time to start digging into something like this. And Circa, of course, you are Darren's mother, but you're also Sean's daughter. You Were you only seven when your dad died? So young at the age of 40. That's right. And it's only now as I get older myself, really, and look back on it, that I realised that both he and my mother, you know, she died six years later. She was only 47. You know, they both died at such a young age and... Do you know, when you get older yourself and you look back on what their their lives were like and my father in particular, what he managed to achieve in such a short space of time, really from the ages of 
you know, I suppose he was maybe 22 or 23 by the time he finished university and to have done so much then by the time he died, it's remarkable, really, you know. It's a very emotional documentary, probably because, I mean, Darren goes into it, but he died very young. Then your mum died. For my listeners, remind them how many of you were there? I know Pather and Rachel are also interviewed your siblings. Yeah, yeah, there were seven of us all together and um Darren interviewed all of us for the documentary and, um, well, nearly all of us anyway. But I suppose the thing is, it's one thing to be doing an interview with someone when it's not someone that you're close to. But when you're doing an interview with someone who's very close to you, oh, my God, you go, <laughs> you go through it and all. Yeah, it's not an experience I'd like to repeat, really, because, you know, you're going through the whole minutia of it and it's like reliving the whole thing. So it was mm. very emotional and um, as I say, I wouldn't be doing that again. No. And I felt sorry for the lads who were editing the documentary afterwards because, um, you know, you do get upset and you mm. do, you know, as I say, going through it all. So when I was thinking of them editing it afterwards, trying to get pieces that were usable, I'm sure were difficult because it's just the whole thing was so um, was was tough. You know, mm. like we were so young when they died and and it was a difficult life and you know, covering that ground, it, it is difficult. So I'm glad yeah, yeah, I won't glad be repeating over. the performance. <laughs> yeah, and I'll come back to you in a moment, Darren, yeah. because I suppose watching it, even watching your wonderful brother Pather, because he was only 16, I suppose, when your mum died as well. So he was almost in loco parentis, wasn't he? he was oh, like, he really was. And like, um, you know, I'm so grateful to Pather because he did stay at home and looked after us. And it was a difficult thing for him to do. And he took on all that responsibility and... Not just with the family, he took on Cor and has been, you know, responsible for the flourishing of Cor ever since and for so many other things that he has done. He has his own musical legacy, which it is difficult for him because that became so entwined then with my father's legacy that that's made life challenging for him mm. I'm sure from that aspect of it but I have to say you know, shout out to Pather that <laughs> we're so grateful to him for yeah. what he did for all of us in the family that he's always supported all of us and been there 100% and he was wonderful from that point of view and there's beautiful archive <coughs> in it as well Darren. I've even seeing Pather as a young mm. boy almost playing the piano and then you cut through to him now what was it like for you interviewing your mum because I suppose what struck me was there seems to be a lot of emotion that maybe none of you went there that much because I suppose when you're surviving as children Mm. A you don't think about the tragedy and B you're just getting on with your life Oh yeah, no, that was the first time we've ever sat down and had that conversation. And like, what were we thinking doing it for the first time in front of cameras? I mean, obviously it was going to be very emotional kind of um, of an experience. But yeah, it was, I suppose, you know, I felt so putting people through that when it really, I suppose they could have lived without it. uh, That was, (laughs) yeah, a question I suppose I didn't realise till I was in too deep. But um, I think that... The thing that's powerful about this show is that it is very emotive. It is very honest. And I think it's, you know, very much bearing yourself and uh, aside to the Ori of the Legacy that maybe hadn't been so well known. But I'm, I mean, as much as you were saying there about Pather, all seven of of mm. the Oriadas were so um, forthcoming and honest. And I really appreciate that they were, willing to have these conversations and we're so generous with their time and I think that that really I suppose shows the the relationship that all of 
of the seven of them have with each other and I suppose luckily I as the next generation coming up have benefited from that but really they're kind of the seven of them have banded together and there's great friendship there and you know I suppose sometimes you'd have family drama but I can honestly say there's been none of that in the Oriadas like they're so a, a close-knit group and I could ring up any of my aunts and uncles I know in the morning and they do anything for you and there's great friendship and grow there between them all and I think you know sometimes with a tragedy like that there's always a silver lining and I think that was a really really important one that came out of out but of the they're story, so Sean. close yeah, yeah that really comes across yeah I suppose it is something I suppose when you go through an experience together that um you know nobody understands what that experience is like except the people who've lived through it with you and you know we did support each other growing up and it was always great to have you know, we could have a laugh about things, I suppose, that happened or, you know, in the middle of the whole thing that, um, you know, there were many uh, just peculiar experiences, I suppose. And we are very close and all love each other and love spending time together when we do get together. It's been great the last couple of years. We've gone down to um, to Corcorina and down to Ungroig and stayed in the hostel there for a couple of days during the summer, especially, I suppose, with the whole lockdown and everything. It was great that we managed to do it last summer and the summer before. And just to spend a couple of days together with different families, you know, of the seven coming and going at different times and seeing all the nephews and nieces and everything. And I suppose one of the peculiar things, well, one of the great things about it is that, you know, we all brought up our children speaking Irish and that we are all very um, in love with the language and and certainly the importance of keeping the Irish language going. And I suppose that that's something, a part of the legacy that my father left to us because, you know, he, they were living in Dublin when they decided to up sticks and moved on to Corcorina and later on to the Gaeltacht in, in Cúle. And they didn't, they had to learn Irish and my mother would have been in particular, would have found that difficult because, you know, her mother was actually from um, northern Italy and her first language would have been French. So she would have gone from as a child speaking French and then English and then having to pick up Irish. And in later years, she actually used to write an article in Irish for the Kerry Man. So she made huge leaps and bounds in that regard. And also, I think what comes across is like when you lost your father and when you were researching this and making this documentary, Darren, he was a public figure. What came across, though, as I felt talk, you interviewing all your aunts and uncles is that they almost had to share him. So when he died, everyone in Ireland knew who Sean O'Reilly was, mm. but it almost made it harder because they had this huge public grief for a public figure. But he was just their dad and your granddad. Yeah, I know. That's so strange. That mm. so, was so strange for me even to compute because, I, um, again, when someone belonged to you, I didn't believe that he was this big national star. And then next thing I was going through his his papers and, you know, there was letters and personal notes there from Charlie Hawhey and Jack Lynch and, you know, um, people like Seamus Heaney and Thomas Kinsley, who are just so well known and well renowned now. But they were his kind of pals, his buddies. And then um, it was very funny. There was the first day that we had actually started recording. I down in Kool-Aid and I met a woman and she was 92 years of age and her uh, daughters had come home from England and they were bringing her for a day out for their week home and all she wanted to do was go down to Kool-Aid to see Sean O'Reilly the statue and she was so delighted to have met me. I mean, I'm sure I had never even met Sean, but she was telling me how much that he meant to her and throughout her whole life that he was kind of the soundtrack. She started listening to him in her 20s 
And, you know, it's kind of small, poignant moments like that that you kind of realise the impact that somebody had on so many people. But that this woman was 92 years of age and still that Sean met so, meant so much to her. It's very hard not to be, I suppose, affected and kind of balled over by something like that. And on that, we have a clip actually from Sean Kane, the wonderful Sean Kane, and it's from the documentary. And here's a wonderful description of Sean O'Reilly from Sean of the Chieftains. He liked the country square, the tweeds, and at various points of his life, I think at one time he dressed all black. I was thinking today about Oscar Wilde dying in Paris, and he looked around the room, this fantastic wallpaper and the opulence, and he said, I'm dying beyond my means. And I just thought, Sean lived beyond his means. Big car the big cigars, the big life generally. His whole being was flamboyant. Does that make sense to you, Sarah? Is that how you remember your dad or not? I suppose I wouldn't have been conscious of that because my relationship would have, with him would have been as a child, you know. Um, and, you know, I have certain memories of him at home doing things like um, doing the homework with us and um, you know, playing games with him at the table at at uh, tea time, where you know we used to have this game where in Irish you couldn't say "tog" "sneal," which is yes and no. It was a kind <laughs> of a difficult to have a conversation doing that. But but um, but he was uh, stern as well. Like I do, I still remember a poem that I learned when doing my homework with him because you know it was an Irish poem, poem you know, four or five lines and. I didn't have it well enough the first time I went in to recite it for him. So I had to go back out and spend more time. And really, like, I remember it to this day. And there are poems I did for my leaving that I still don't remember. (laughs) So, you know, he was, um, he had standards, I suppose, that he expected you to reach those standards and and to be able to um, do what was expected of you. So he was tough, I suppose, from that point of view. But then I have other memories of him as well where, you know, playing the piano in the sitting room and actually Pather uh, last year down in Corcorina brought uh, in a book that he had put together as when he was in school where he had got my father to write out pieces of music. And, you know, at these when my father would have been playing the piano in the sitting room at night time and he would have played a tune, say, for every, each of the different siblings where he wrote the tune based on the person's character wow. and Pather took down the music for that. So we still have that to this day. So that's a lovely memory to have of him just being able to write a piece of music on the spot there, kind of based on what he thought of the kind of character that you were. So, you know, he was he was playful, but he could be um, tough as well. And there's a beautiful moment in the documentary, and I'd heard about this before, where you're interviewing your mom, Sarah's, I think it's sister, might be Rachel, mm. but and she's talking about one night she went into the living room and he didn't know she had walked in as a child. And tell that story, because it just shows the man was a genius, but mm. he was obviously under a lot of pressure as well. Yeah, yeah, um, he, he was. There was a, she was talking about, um, she went into the into the sitting room where he was playing and she didn't, he didn't realise that she was there and he was playing away to himself and then he, he broke down and, and, and started uh, crying and then he was disgusted when he saw that Rachel had snuck in and didn't, uh, didn't want her to see him get upset. Um, but yeah, I think the the thing with Sean was there was that kind of otherworldliness and there was this, the scale of the Ashling, um, where when he was younger, he had seen this vision 
according to him, um, of a of a Ashling, I suppose, is kind of the old woman of Ireland coming against him in the road, and he, that's the story that Rachel tells. Was another time that he was playing at the piano, and um, he just stopped suddenly in the middle of the tune, and looked at them and said, "Oh, does I've seen her again," and that Rachel knew straight away who it was that he was talking about, and I think that. Um, there's this kind of that older worldliness or, you know, between the veil between maybe our reality and, you know, the realms of creativity and whatever else goes on. I'm no quantum physicist, so I <laughs> won't attempt to go into it. But I, I suppose that he was very much in touch with the, the spiritual side of of the world and, and creativity. And I suppose as artists that people would go into little pockets of, of their own reality that maybe we find it hard to comprehend. Um, and I think that that is definitely true with Sean. You know, there's a lot of uh, of stories and anecdotes that people tell about his kind of otherworldliness and how he tapped into these powers of creativity. And the man, he was definitely, given the body work he created by the time he died, obviously everyone knows Mishera. We have another extract here from the documentary. It's an extract. I mean, you dug deep in this documentary. It's mm. a letter of introduction from the director of Mishera, George Morrison. And it's to a famous German film critic at the time, Lottie Eisner. And you found it in the Boo Library in UCC, referring to your granddad as John Reedy, of course, as he was calling himself at the time. This is to introduce my friends, Mr. and Mrs. John Reedy. John has done me the honor of writing the music for Misha Era. Both John and Ruth are and have been for years anxious to see something of this queer thing we know as the cinema. Wow. That was read by Cronon O'Dublin of the Bull Library in UCC. Every time, Serica, when you were growing up, I was wondering this about both of you, with your name obviously and you were there, do a lot of people still if they don't know, say, are you anything to Sean Arrieta? Was that more when you were younger or not? Oh, yeah. No, it's actually, it's extraordinary. People do still say it to me all the time. Um, I suppose it's such an unusual name that, um, you know, the minute people hear it, they wonder whether you are related to Sean Arrieta. And, and people are still, you know, they love to meet you and they love to talk to you about it, especially the older generation, I suppose, who remember it him from those days but um, yeah it, look it's something that you get used to it's funny when I came to Dublin first way mm-hmm. back in the day and you know I, I don't think Irish was as well was spoken by so many people at that stage and you know I used to struggle a lot with my name people used to be calling me Shorsha and you know, only Riyadh and <laughs> stuff like that but now that um, there's so many more people speaking Irish that um, and so many more people using Irish language names and so on but still it's the near the part <laughs> people do recognise that because of my father and that's a, a privilege of course it is And you say to Darren your daughter in the documentary when she asks you what you'd like to get out of this you say Sergei I'd like you to get an understanding of how Sean paid dearly for what he achieved what did you mean by that? Well I suppose you know he did die at a very young age and um, there's all the speculation about whether it was because of drink you know um, that he did 
drink a lot. Now, I, I never saw him having um, drunk or inebriated or anything like that, but he did have liver failure. Now, it was a heart attack that killed him in the end. But I suppose, you know, when you live in the fast lane and when you're feeling under pressure, you know, that he had achieved so much with Misha Era and with Kjoltori Khulan and so on, um, did he feel a pressure that he'd have to keep on producing that kind of, uh, those kind of works all the time? I don't know. I just know that to die at the age of 40 mm. is a tragedy for anybody. And, you know, if I were, if you were given a choice between leave, leading a long life and leading a life where you leave a huge body of work together, mm. well, which would you choose? Well, I would definitely prefer the long life myself. And I think anybody who has any sense would. And um, so f- from that point of view, you know, he did pay a high price. And final question to you, Darren. Like, it's really fitting that it's you as his granddaughter and your family who've made this film about, you know, your grandfather and your grandmother. The record's made by the area of the family. Do you think of him differently now, Darren, now that you've made this documentary? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we're all quite hard or fast to judge people. And I think that definitely before I had started that I had maybe my own preconceptions. But um, I think I've gained maybe certain understanding for the human condition, for the the artist's life. Um, You know, who am I to judge somebody 50 years after they've died? And I mean... All I can maybe get the measure of a man is the the love that he left behind him. And I think that that's so evident with all the conversations that I have between friends and family, you know, that there's still so much grown goodwill towards him. And I think that for, you know, for everything else that he left behind, I think that that has really made the most impact for me. And I think that that's really, I mean, how well and how, how much somebody loved her in their life, if you... I think you can kind of get a measure of someone from that. And from that, I think I'm very proud to be associated with him. It's a beautiful documentary. I think he'd be very proud of it himself because it shows all his family and your glory and his genius. Shona Rieda Mohanahar. It's broadcasting on St. Stephen's Day on Tichy Cahar. Thanks so much for being guys. We're going to play out with a short version of Egg on Shiel, which of course Shona Rieda set to music. It's played here by harpist Janet Harbison.